This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith and a culture against faith. So let's talk about feminism in the church. Yes, it's interesting. Now, before we have that conversation, I want you and all of our listeners to paint this picture. Okay. Okay. The year is 1983. Okay. What's going on in 1983? Lots of things. Think about the types of cars that are being driven. Think about the type of architecture that's available to the world. Think about culture, what's happening in pop culture, what's happening in politics. What's going on in 1983? There's lots of things going on in 1983. The world's very different in 1983. Yeah. Is oppression prominent in 1983? Yes, absolutely. 100% oppression of people. People of color, Gender oppression, all kinds of oppression going on in 1983. And in 1983, a woman named Rosemary Radford rises to prominence in California. She's a feminist theologian. At which point... She decides that she doesn't only want to be a theologian. She wants to be a practitioner of feminist theology. In which she, with others, founds the Women Church Movement. This is from... um, Roger Olson, my professor at Truett, uh, his book, The Journey of Modern Theology, and his section on feminist theology. Women Church is a network of women-led Christian liturgical communities patterned after the Latin American-based communities. Men are welcome, but normally are not allowed to lead. The purpose of the churches is to give women space to develop their own religious leadership. Why would a woman feel the need to start a network of churches so that women could have leadership in churches if women were already being given that right? Right. She wouldn't. No. Historically, women are a highly oppressed category of people in the church and religion in general but yes in the church specifically in the american evangelical church yeah um and even just in the american church in general as well as the western church for a very long time yeah um i mean even now they're oppressed i mean the single largest protestant denomination is the southern baptist and they do not affirm Southern Baptist Convention, and they do not affirm women in leadership positions in the church. Right. So, Rosemary Radford is 
one of the earliest advocates of liberation theology, of which her specific vein is feminist theology. Mm-hmm. She published several, several great books, one of which is worth reading, called Gaia and God. Very much so worth reading. But her specific feminist theology, and I want to look at her specifically because you really can't have a conversation about feminism and feminist theology without having a conversation with a feminist theologian. Right. And we're going we're going to attempt to get a I think she would classify herself as a feminist. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. We're going to attempt to get somebody to come on and talk about feminist theology. But until then, we're going to use um, Rosemary for this. And the thing that I think is interesting about what Rosemary, in her specific um, feminist theology is hers develops in three distinct steps. Her beginning place is a critique of the past. Now, before I actually give you a quote from her, why would we need to critique the past? You would only need to critique the past to make the future better, right? Um, To inform what needs to happen now in the present to better the future. Correct. That would be correct. There's another element of it that I think she's going to hit on here in a minute. But that would be that would be a huge part of it. And her her reasoning is that a recovery of the dangerous memory of women's oppression by the male patriarchal church and culture. Um one of the big reasons that you must redeem the past is because it was written by the oppressors. Mm. Um, even if you want to leave the Bible out of that, I, I really don't think you can. I think the Bible is equally written by oppressors. Um, but even history books for centuries at this point have been white men. Well, not for sin. Well, yeah, no, for the large part of it, yeah. I mean, it, um, it's it's the white man that is writing the history. It's writing the past. It's controlling the narrative. What do we always say? How do you oppress somebody? Take away, take their, away voice. their voice. That's the first thing you do is you take away their voice, and you now control everything that is said and what and why and all of the things. And that's huge because you control the story. And if you control the story, you control the future. And so I think Rosemary's right. Like there needs to be a reevaluation of the past. And for me, you know, I've said several times, I consider myself a feminist. I think feminist theology is vitally important to the future trajectory of the church. Um, I'm also against all forms of power and hierarchy and all of those things right now. Um, but I am grateful to feminist theologians who want to rewrite the past mm-hmm. um, because I do think the past has largely been written by men yeah, um, and oppressors in general. And I also love that 
I love before I move on because it sounds very harsh that Rosemary just comes in and she's like, we got to rewrite this story. This is terrible. It's not totally that Rosemary's a person of oppression. I mean, she has been oppressed, but I think the other big part of that is Rosemary's not actually known as a feminist theologian. Right. She's known as kind of the, the birthplace of feminist theology. But Rosemary's known as a liberation theologian. Right. Rosemary had a heart for people that were oppressed outside of her own contextualized oppression. Mary had a heart to liberate the captive, which, right. might I mind you, is Jesus' command to us when he preaches his first sermon in Luke 4. Right. Reads from the scroll of Isaiah to set the captive free. Mary has a heart for, Rosemary has a heart for redemption of which shows up in the way that she wants to redeem the past from the taintedness of men. Maybe, and I don't remember if this is the word she actually used, but maybe instead of talking about it as like rewriting the past, giving a different perspective on the past. It's exactly what she means. Right. Um, Her her thing is not so much that's what's been written in the history is not accurate. Right. That's not her thing at all. What I mean, her, some of it is. Like, let's just be honest. Well, I would agree with you, but yeah. that's not Rosemary's position. Rosemary's position is that there are pieces of the story that are left out. Right. And specifically, the piece that is left out is the voice of women who are oppressed. Yeah. And that must be included back into the story. And I think she's right. Look, everybody knows I am fascinated with the idea of storytelling. Um, there's power in storytelling, a lot of power in storytelling. And Rosemary's right. We're not, we're not going to get anywhere unless we tell the full picture of the story. And whether we want to admit it or not, that story involves oppression. Yeah. People who called themselves Christians oppressing other people. Just it is, it's just true. So why do we need feminist theology? These women have been oppressed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really not a question other than that. I mean, have women been oppressed? Yes. Need for feminist theology, mm. and that's what sparks it for Rosemary. She grew up in Texas. She born in 1936. Her dad dies when she's real young, and so her mother. Moves her to California, the birthplace of feminism. Because these are two women who got to make something of themselves because they no longer have the man. Right. And Lord knows that would have been real difficult in Texas yep. in 1936. So they go to California. And Rosemary goes around and says, hey, I see she goes to Claremont a very prestigious school, uh, a Methodist-affiliated university, and gets her PhD and immediately jumps into like feminist theology and feminist movements. And she says, hey, she immediately notes, like, hey, we can't do anything until we tell a different story. Mm. We've got to correct what's happening here in the narrative because it's been written by males. Right. 
So then the second step seeks alternative biblical and extra-biblical traditions that support in Ruther's character characterization, so that's Rosemary's last name, women's personhood, her equality in the image of God, her equal redeemability, her participation in prophecy, teaching, and leadership. That's huge for me. As someone who has an extremely high pneumatology, I think, and this is one of the reasons I designed Wellhouse Church the way that I did, is because I have a very high pneumatology. I think the Holy Spirit is at work in every individual person. And so who am I to stifle that? Yeah. And so I stopped thinking of my role as a pastor to be this kind of gatekeeper mm. and started thinking of it as a guide where I'm taking people upon a journey of which I'm going to dictate the path, but they can explore however they want along the path. The path for me is the creeds. I'm going to keep you within the creeds, but the way in which God manifests himself to you, who am I to say if it's as long as it's inside the creeds, who am I to say that's not God? Because I don't want to be an oppressor right. because I believe in liberation theology and specifically feminist theology. And I do think specifically that Rosemary is very correct in that when you oppress someone, you don't oppress you don't solely just oppress an individual or you don't solely just oppress a category of people you oppress the identity of that person right we talked about this on um i think it was let's talk i think it was on this podcast we talked about this um the things that we give power to by ascribing our identity to them. And those are in I am statements. No, this was on practicing presence. presence, Um, So when you make a statement, I am, you're making an identity claim. I am a father. I'm a son. I'm a friend. I am is making a statement of your identity. When someone's oppressed, what do they say? I am a slave. That's what the biblical narrative calls them. Mm -hmm. When you oppress women or an individual woman, you don't just oppress a person. You oppress their entire identity. And so when Rosemary comes in and says... We've got to redeem, for lack of a better word, a woman's personhood and her equality in the image of God and her redeemability. That's huge for me. Oh. That That's more revealing than her saying, hey, I want a place in leadership. Right. What's more redeeming or what, what's the bigger claim for me when, when I read feminist theologians and they make comments like that, 
I don't read that and go, hey, you want power that you don't have. I read that and go, no, you want liberation that you don't have. You, your person, your identity, your being feels like a second-class citizen in this world where we are told to set people free. Yeah. Um, you can read feminist theology as the angry, scorned woman who doesn't have enough say. Um, but if you do, I think you're reading their heart wrong. Um, these are women who deeply, deeply love Jesus and see Jesus as the great liberator um, from oppression. And that shows up in that leadership position is given to those people and they have a voice. But it also shows up in that, hey, in Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. Yeah. I feel like that's the biggest telltale sign for me of women in leadership and egalitarian relationships in general. There is neither male nor female, right? Um, yeah. That's Paul himself saying, stop oppressing people, right? Just. Or, yeah, I don't. In that specific context, I think he's saying excluding. Right. Which. I think is also the it, same it thing. A form of yeah. oppression, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you 100%. I, f- that's, that's the smoking gun right. that nobody can do anything with. Like, if you want to oppress people, specifically, well, anyone. Anyone. There's neither slave nor free. If there's you want to oppress... Literally, everyone is yeah, right there. If, if you want to oppress people, there are places you can point to. But there's no way to explain away that smoking gun. Yeah. And I I think it, I mean, it's feminists who have gotten us there. It's liberation theology that's gotten us there. Um, Lord knows the oppressors ain't coming up with this. No. And so I want to point that out to you that, that these women, I, I really don't think that feminist theology is this kind of movement where they just want power. I think feminist theology is this movement where they say, we don't want oppression. And that's why Rosemary doesn't market herself as a feminist theologian. She markets herself as a liberation theologian. Right. It's oppression that we're against, mm. of which, if I might be honest, the church has been a major oppressor. Yep. For a long time. Its entire existence. Yeah. Well, let me say, maybe it's in its entire existence post Constantine when right. he gives it like the kind of big like, oh, here's the stamp of approval to go be Christians, and everybody just kind of shows up, and literally almost overnight, mm-hmm. Christianity takes over the world, um, which manifests itself in the Crusades, right? Which also. Not good. Do not think that God is pleased not with that good. war. Um, that is people oppressing people. And that's one thing that I will always say that I love about being Baptist. You'll never hear me say I regret being Baptist. There are things that I regret about Baptist life. Yeah. But you'll never hear me regret Baptist because one of our core values is religious liberty. Mm. 
And if you really take that for what it was intended to mean, we don't have to approach theology as I'm right and you're wrong. Right. It naturally makes space to not be an oppressor. Even though our largest organization has been oppressors and big oppressors. Right. Um, which we are not affiliated with. I always make the caveat, but we are we Baptist, are. but we are not Southern Baptist. Um, no. Baptist life actually makes it very easy for you not to be an oppressor. Yeah. Because we believe in religious liberty, that mm-hmm. anyone should be able to worship however they so choose. That That's the foundational premise of liberation theology. In... In writing, that is true. Um, And I may frustrate some people by saying this, but it doesn't always take shape that way. Like, maybe... Functionally, it does, like, we still oppress people. Yes. In in ridiculous ways. But, um, yeah, functionally, we do still oppress people. Saying that to mean just because we say this is that this is that whole old white dude thing right um oh no we love everybody we think everybody should be able to worship the way they do just not like that yeah you know what i mean um which really frustrates me well i posted i mean you're right Historically, you are absolutely right. And even today, you're right. I mean, look, we're, we're having this conversation about feminist theology and the way that women have been oppressed, but they're getting much more ground mm. these days. But there's always going to be a new oppress, like oppressee. Mm-hmm. Oppressors will always oppress. And the new one, I posted about it on my Instagram story today. It's the LGBTQ. There's a story or a... a a picture, a sketch, a drawing from the naked pastor, who if you don't follow, you absolutely should. His stuff is gold. But the naked pastor posts this photo, and it's all these sheep in a church building with Jesus, and it's a rainbow sheep, a rainbow-colored sheep walking in, and one of the white sheep looks at the rainbow sheep and says, I'm sorry, you're just not welcome here. And then the very next scene, Jesus is gone, outside the church, walking hand in hand with the rainbow colored sheep and the white sheep going, where'd Jesus go? Mm. Jesus went with the oppressed. That's where Jesus went. Jesus was serious when he told you the first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus wasn't playing around. And that gives me chills. I'm telling you. That's good. I'm telling you. In Rosemary's final... I told you there were three steps to her kind of foundational premise of feminist theology, of which we're actually going to get into her feminist theology next week. She had to revision Christian categories. She had to reclaim some things. This is what she says. This is uh, in an article she wrote. Every theological doctrine and concept had to be examined anew 
in light of the growing awareness that women had been oppressed in the church, at least as systematically as in other parts of society. Ruther outlined the task of feminist theology as clarifying the vision of the feminist community of faith and clarifying the criteria for testing what is authentic. Such re- reconstruction is necessary, she explained. We're now at Dr. Olson's kind of writing. Because the primary source of feminist faith cannot be the church, tradition, or scripture. Because they've been written by men. Rather, and this is Rosemary's own words, the patriarchal distortion of all tradition throws feminist theology back upon the primary intuition of religious experience itself, namely, the belief in a divine foundation of reality, which is ultimately good, which does not wish evil or create evil, but affirms and upholds our autonomous personhood as women in whose image we are made. Clayton, does that not sound like a woman who feels like she's been oppressed? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound like a woman who feels like she's in need of liberation? I hear her heart in her writing. Um, you want to know why I think women are important and consider myself a feminist and all of these things. It's because I heard their stories and listened to the way that they felt oppressed. And I began to examine what, what could they possibly be talking about? How have they been oppressed? And so then I went back and reread the story. All of the story. Not just the biblical story, which I do think at moments oppresses women. But church history. I got an entire master's degree in church history. The church has historically oppressed women. Yeah. Um, yes. Feminist theology is absolutely needed in the church. And we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about feminist theology and what it actually means and, and how women have been oppressed and what it means to liberate women, to make space for them. For all that I love Rosemary for, I don't like that she made women church. Um, because the goal is not for you to be autonomous in your own. The goal is for you to be autonomous amongst the community. Um, we can't ever forget that this rise of liberation theology, my one complaint with it, and this is true for African-American, like black liberation theology is true for Latin American, uh, um, liberation theology it's true for all liberation theology. Liberation theology is pointing out the, the point that you're oppressed And what oppressed people want is to assimilate into the community. Unfortunately, what liberation theology does, because white men are unwilling to give, Mm -hmm. that's how you get black church. That's how you get women's church. You know why black churches exist, Clayton? Because we didn't let black people in our church. Um. The ultimate oppressor 
throughout history is the white male. The ultimate oppressor throughout history is the white male. And we need to do better. Our goal is not to have women church. Our goal is not to have black church. Our goal is not to have white church. Our goal is to have the church of every nation and every tongue serving and worshiping Jesus as Lord and doing kingdom work together as a representation of the love and community that we've been given through him. Why do I consider myself a feminist and love feminist theology? Because I think more men need to stand up and give voice and way to more women so that we can have that euphoric society that Jesus dreamed of. <laughs>